Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There is this old saying that if you dance with the devil, he calls the tune. How do you answer people who would suggest that you've gotten way too close and have helped to provide cover for national oil companies and indeed for this cop? The reality is the old oil and gas industry is also the current energy industry. I think we need to work with that system to decarbonize it. Technology like ours can help that short-term decarbonization and scale down and then phasing out as we go. It's not a contradiction for me. It's absolutely how you affect practical change. This is Wicked Problems. I'm Richard Delavan. Graphene is a solution in search of a problem in the UAE. Have you found the problem for your solution? Our focus has been on where do you help find a scalable solution that graphene can help to solve. That problem is really decarbonisation. I studied climate change and environmental economics uh, back in, uh, in my university days. You can do things with positive intent that then have very negative consequences. So you can build a dam, but you displace people and you cause huge methane issues. Understanding unforeseen consequences was really important. Is this increasing level of transparency on methane helpful for growing your business? The political will to, to really monitor and measure it is definitely very helpful. Uh, I think for us, having a solution that people looking to decarbonize their methane can use is useful to have that catalyst. This is Wicked Problems, a show about climate tech, the intersection of capital and technology, people and politics that will shape the future and whether we manage the challenges that climate is starting to throw at us. That's why we bring some of the smartest people we can on this show, ones really thinking about solutions. Today's episode is one we've kept for you, when you might have a few extra brain cells over this break and take yourself out of the day-to-day slipstream. Because we've got John Hartley, CEO of Lividian, a company I've been fascinated by for years now. We spoke to John when he was in the UAE for COP28, but also the site of the company's first expansion outside of the United Kingdom. We had a great conversation about how his company takes waste products and turns them into things that are super useful, like graphene. Graphene has been around for a while, but it still seems like science fiction, and its image probably isn't helped by the application a lot of people throw around, a strand of the stuff so strong it could be anchored to the Earth near the equator and go up 22,000 miles above the Earth where it could be tethered to a captured asteroid. 
and then instead of burning rocket fuel, you'd basically take cargo up in a simple elevator attached to the cable. Hence, space elevator. But that kind of exotic sci-fi stuff is obviously a ways off. In the meantime, graphene can be used as a material that would help us make stuff on the Earth that lasts longer. Tires, cement, steel, plenty more, and therefore also help us waste less carbon in its production. And as it happens, the way Levidian makes the stuff could be a use for the kind of methane, from wastewater to biogas and from landfills, that we need to figure out how to capture, even if we never take another drop out of the ground to burn for energy. Before we get to that, thanks for being a listener in 2023. There's no rest for wicked problems, so we figure you'll be thinking about this stuff anyway over your break. So we're going to keep putting out some of the conversations we've had, new ones and old favorites, as you're getting into the right headspace for the new year. If you prefer an ad-free version of this podcast, you can subscribe to our newsletter at news.wickedproblems.uk. And as always, please do share this with a friend and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help people find the show. And what better Christmas gift for your humble hosts of this podcast than that? That's all we ask. It's not much. But now here's my conversation with John Hartley of Lividian. And I'm delighted to be able to welcome to the show John Hartley, the CEO of Lividian. John from Dubai, welcome to Book of Problems. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to be here. How has your COP experience been so far there at the at Climate Coachella? Yes, it's been a really good week, I think. I think we've had a real energy about the place. There's a real, I think, uh, opportunity here to meet people who are trying to solve similar problems and to meet people who you can help. So for us, we provide an industrial decarbonization service. We decarbonize waste gas. We make hydrogen and we capture carbon in a, in a form called graphene. And there are so many industrial customers who are looking to solve the problems that we can help them with. So uh, professionally, it's been really, really engaging. I also think it helped that early on we saw announcements about methane reduction uh, and a pledge to eliminate that. And that really helps us, I think, to, to shine a light on the problem of methane. And uh, it's one of the things that we can help with. So having the COP presidency very early on get 50 big oil and gas companies to make that methane pledge was was fantastic. Um, uh, but I think the, the whole theme of this COP is really action orientated. It's let's get things done and make practical change happen. And that means there's a good energy to the place. So yeah, it's been a positive first week, I would say. You mentioned graphene as being one of the, the, the key products from the process that your company has developed. And I've seen you say, and as, as of others, graphene is a solution in search of a problem. Have you found in your first expansion outside the UK to there in the UAE, have you found the problem for the, your solution? We have, yeah. So graphene was discovered about 20 years ago, and it's really been in the realm of of academia for a long time. So looking at lots of very interesting, but often very niche and, and not commercially applicable um, areas. Our focus has been on where do you help find a scalable solution that graphene can help to solve. That, that problem is really decarbonization. So how do you decarbonize products and build the energy system of the future? That's the core problem that we believe, Lavidian believe, I believe that, that graphene is solving. And that's really in two buckets. Bucket one is make things we do today lower in their carbon intensity. For example, concrete and cement, making them is 8% of all of our global emissions. If you add a small amount of graphene to them, 
it means that you need effectively less volume and you can produce them in a lower carbon way. So that it, that is a, a huge problem that graphene can help to solve. The second area it supports on is building the energy system of the future, particularly battery cells, but also with solar. So adding our graphene to a lithium-ion battery adds about 27% to the capacity of that battery. And it means it can charge faster and it can hold more energy and also that it's lighter. So absolutely, graphene has found a problem to solve. Okay. It does feel like that's it's still a bit of a Swiss army knife. And I think that's the nature of the material, right? Many, many different applications. But in terms of decarbonization, I suppose there's some tailwinds that it seems like things may be falling in your favor. The pledge to reduce methane would suggest that your market for people looking to find ways to take methane out of their process and system has just gone up. Is that be, that fair? Or uh, tell you know what? Are, how do you see it? Yeah, definitely. I, I think different industrial customers are looking to decarbonize anyway, regardless of COP. And so we found a really strong pull for our our loop units. So these loop units are deployed at the point of use and can decarbonize waste, gas, uh, methane flows. So that that pull. Is, is really happening anyway. We've kind of exceeded the sales targets that we've had with those for, for 2023. I think what methane, what COP does on, on, on methane is really um, align senior leaders, particularly in the oil and gas space in, with this methane pledge to taking more action and to moving more quickly. So it, it definitely, definitely helps us. I think the other theme that's starting to emerge in this COP is, is one of carbon capture. So saying we need to be able to capture the carbon um, at scale. And, and if you look at investment levels, it's been great to have a renewables pledge of the tripling, tripling of renewables capacity, but really investment is already flowing into offshore wind and solar and so on. We're not seeing the same investment in the carbon capture space and we need to. So I think the carbon capture focus, which is stronger at this COP than it ever has been before, will act as a bit of a forcing mechanism to help that to happen. And for us, our technology captures carbon in a in a solid form that can then be reused. It, it means you don't have this slight craziness of having to capture carbon and then kind of pump carbon dioxide under the sea and transport it large distances. So that's been a real a real help for us. Right. And so I, I know that uh, this might be slightly controversial, mentioning a, a different university from the one that you guys have been allied with, the Oxford instead of Cambridge. Uh, but they released a paper about a week ago talking about that carbon capture is one of these technologies that for 50 years seems to have been stuck at one of these technologies that hasn't actually gone down the cost curve in the ways that some of the other technologies, even ones you've just mentioned, has done. Does your process help to change that math? I mean, does it actually help to address the issue that you know perhaps has beset carbon capture to date, which is that it just seems so bloody expensive that you know many companies just have said it's just not worth including in you know my process because of the price. Yeah, I I agree. I think not only has it been expensive, but the carbon uh, credits, the carbon kind of price has been so low that the economics haven't worked. So our technology really does three things. It, it, it captures carbon, uh, but secondly, it makes hydrogen. And thirdly, it makes graphene. So, and that graphene material has a, has a really high value when you apply it to different products. So because we can revenue step, we can do all of those three things. If we use the hydrogen, if we use the graphene, the carbon capture is effectively a free byproduct of that process. 
And equally, if a customer wants hydrogen, then and that's their focus, then they can kind of get that as an upside when the graphene has has real value. So I think that holistic solution from our perspective means that we're not selling loops. We're not selling our technology to customers who are who are paying for it with no business case. Our, our customers want a financial return, you know, ha- have a questions for us about the uh, the payback, et cetera. And because we have those three value streams, we have certainly changed the carbon capture economics for our, for our customer base. We also don't need hugely heavy transportation infrastructure or long-term storage. I mean, we, we capture the carbon at the point that uh, the methane is present. We lock it away in, in this solid form that we can then send to someone to use it. So we've, we've taken some of the cost out of that value chain for carbon capture as well. As you mentioned, graphene has been an academic kind of exercise for 20 years. The industrial applications have been clear outside the kind of exotica like space elevators. You know, you mentioned concrete. We've also talked about adding a few grams of graphene to tires and how, how it extends their life to batteries, uh, lots of different applications. But the price seems to be so variable. What can you tell us, the listener, about why or how your process, how does that stack up in terms of price, given that the price for graphene can go from anywhere from looking right here, $67,000 a ton to $200,000 a ton? How much graphene are you producing and how much do you sell it for? Yeah, so the the biggest challenge with graphene scale-up has actually been consistency and quality rather than price. Uh, historically, graphene's been mined from graphite rock, often in Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. where the, the purest graphite mines are. And then it's been kind of bashed up and chemically exfoliated and then shipped around. So that means because you get naturally occurring variations in the graphite rock, you therefore get variations in the batch-to-batch that you have on the graphene side. So if you're a big industrial customer, let's say you're a battery cell producer, you cannot cope with that level of variation. And that's been a huge issue, as has volume. So, you know, if you need tons of this a day, how do you get enough through that supply chain method to to make it work? It just hasn't stacked up. Um, So the origin of our company, the origin of the technology has been pointed at solving those problems. Uh, We make Mm -hmm. graphene in a continuous process from the the molecular level. We build it up from, from the molecule level. And we make it at the point that it's needed. So we don't have any consistency issues. We don't have any quality issues. And it's massively scalable. Um, When you then get to price, you need very, very little graphene for it to have an effect. So if you add it into concrete and cement, you have less than 0.1% of that will be graphitic Mm -hmm. material. Very similar if you add it to, to tires, for example. So although the price per gram might be on the expensive side, it really isn't expensive as an overall percentage of the product it goes into because you need so, so little of it. And also, mm-hmm. if you think about the cost of production, if you have to make it in Sri Lanka and ship it around the world, it's expensive. It's also carbon intensive. I and mean, that has a big carbon footprint to, to, to go through that process because we can make it through our loop units that also decarbonize and also make hydrogen. You get the cost down, you get the carbon footprint to be negative in many cases. So you've really solved that that problem. But honestly, my experience is price is not the biggest reason it hasn't scaled. It, it's quality, it's scalability, and it's been consistency. Right. And 
Is it something that, again, what are the things that need to go your way for the business to expand? If I was just sitting across from you and, and thinking about investing, and I actually just full disclosure, I used to work with uh, one of your investors, folks at Baker Hughes. So, so what's the value proposition? What's the reason I would invest? How big is your market going to get? Yeah, so so the, the total addressable market that we are uh, serving is is enormous. So if you look at industry players that need to decarbonize, if you look at battery suppliers that need to secure their supply chain with high quality material, we never have an issue explaining the the TAM, the total addressable market that, that, that we're going after. In fact, the question is then how do you focus in such a large market, which is why we're targeting places with waste uh, requirements, so wastewater and um, oil and gas flaring and uh, landfill, for example. On the graphene side, particularly batteries is, is a core focus of ours. So the market is a very is, is a very big one. We've also had, we launched the brand and, and Meridian two and a half years ago, and we have grown exponentially in that time period. So we've had big companies like Adnoc, United Utilities, um, and others sign up to our technology, which for a young company has been has been fantastic. And we are scaling. We're, we're investing. Or we're, or we're raising money from investors to meet the needs of that growing pipeline. So there's certainly no no shortage of people already buying but wanting to buy what we offer. The big potential we have is also more investment in R and D. So let's make these loops more electrically efficient. And also, let's put more than methane through them. So we, we did a trial with United Utilities, a big water company in, in the UK, where we put in a biogas that had uh, carbon dioxide as well as having methane in it. And that showed mm. that we could also crack carbon dioxide. In fact, you get a, a synthetic fuel uh, out, of the, out of the back as well as the hydrogen. So the potential is enormous. And if I was to summarize it from an investor perspective without making it too much of a bitch, um, I would say there's kind of a, a very clear market today with proven customers, a proven pipeline and a proven kind of ability to show that the tech works in the field because we have a long kind of technology legacy. It's a huge market opportunity and there's a great upside. There's other things that we can do in the future without, without distracting ourselves. So we found, although the investment climate has been difficult, I think, for everyone in the last couple of years, we raised our Series A, which Baker Hughes led. There's another investor who's added on to that that we'll announce soon. And, we'll, we're, um, and walking around COP this week, there are a lot of investors looking for scalable tech to, to back. So there's no shortage of money looking for a place to place to go. Well, that's good to hear. And I suppose I, you're obviously too smart. And having spent your time in McKinsey and Accenture, I'm not surprised that you're not going to give me a number for the TAM. Uh, no, I, I, I think it's hard to give you one number. It depends if you look Fair at, enough. you know, the, how many billions is the battery market? How many billions is industrial decarbonization? But the, uh, the, the, the size of the TAM is never, is never the issue. Right. So and I, I guess just coming back to a question I asked at the top, and I think our connection is much more stable now, so I'm going to just try again. Yep. But just in terms of the, the, the tailwinds that you might be having, one of the things driving this market for particularly looking at waste methane, whether it be from flaring or from biogas and landfill sites or from wastewater, is that we now have so much better granularity when it comes to detection, whether it be from satellite, whether it be things like Al Gore's climate trace platform of looking at different sources of emissions where you know, they're tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts. 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Going to be there's gonna be a lot more accountability for point source emissions for methane than there ever has been before. And that seems to have closed the the net for a lot of potential emitters to say, well, we really, really, really need now need to clean our, clean our act, up, act up in a way that you know, perhaps we didn't need to focus on this before because they're going to be in the U.S. for the first time financial penalties under the IRA for methane emissions and that we see this in other markets around the world. So is that a help for you? Yeah, the, the increasing transparency, both the monitoring but also the political will to, to really monitor and measure it is definitely very, very helpful. Uh, I think for us having a solution that people looking to decarbonize their methane um, can use is uh, you know, it's useful to have that catalyst. I think you asked at the start about tailwinds to the growth in that sector. I think for people with methane, historically, that methane has been a cost, it's been a risk, and something that's expensive to decarbonize. What we do is to turn that cost into a source of revenue, into a source of value, and into potentially a source of differentiation if you can use that carbon in your products and use it to, to decarbonize. And that's really crucial because if you're a, a landfill site and you're looking to spend millions of dollars potentially on electrifying the site, capturing the gas, cleaning it, if you can then, once it's cleaned, run it through a loop system, make hydrogen, make graphene, get the carbon credits from that, then suddenly you have a value stream. And so I think there's been there's been economic business case tailwinds for the, the action on removing the methane for a long time. And I think we found being able to help people with that has really, really helped us to grow. So you've uh, you recently announced that you're you're opening the first office outside of UK for you guys, and that's going to be in Abu Dhabi. Tell us about that, and you know what has made you make that decision. That's right. So yeah, we announced um, a couple of months ago the UAE entity setup. Uh, we found increasingly over the last eighteen months customers bringing us to the region, uh, and that's a combination of reasons. One is there is a lot of gas here to decarbonize clearly through oil and gas operations, but also landfill sites. Um, there's a, a lot of those um, in, in the UAE. So that's been a key strategic focus of ours. The second reason we're here is heavy industry. So the UAE have created a number of, for example, uh, aluminium groups uh, who are based here who need hydrogen at scale and who can be huge offtakers of graphene. So if you think about a Venn diagram of where we would, would go strategically, the UAE has fallen right into the sweet spot. There's also a real political will to act and a real momentum. And I've met other clean energy uh, scale-up companies like ours here who've opened offices in the last 12 months because they're what they're doing uh, strategically is to combine 
using the technology themselves with investment and also with um, with research. So we, we partner up with Khalifa University in, in Abu Dhabi, for example. And that, that, that really is a killer combination. So the UAE have clearly seen that as oil and gas falls away in the future and as it um, they need to diversify, they want to be the leaders in, 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 in what comes next. So that's why we're over here. Um, we started out, as you said earlier, in, in Cambridge in the UK. We, we've got pilot units um, going out to, uh, into Europe. We sold our first unit into, into North America, which um, we'll kind of uh, talk about more uh, in, in, in the new year. But primarily we see um, outside of Europe, the UAE and actually the Middle East more broadly has been the next place that's, uh, that's pulled us in. Right. I mean, I, I was going to ask you about the U.S. and North America simply because of the fact that there is so much, so much happening. So many founders I speak to and CEOs are, you know, it's kind of impossible not to be considering what your U.S. plan is, particularly in a space that might be exposed to the changing economics of incentives in the U.S. So is that likely to be, again, well, you're obviously saying watch this space for some news in the new year, but how important do you think that market's going to be for you going forward? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and honestly, we don't know yet. So we, you know, we're a relatively small company. And we've had to stay focused on serving some core markets really well. So Europe and the UAE is where, where we've started. I think if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, if you look at the political will in the US in different patches to, to decarbonize, I mean, I, we, we, sh- we will, we are certainly looking at that market, but how big of a deal it will be for us Honestly, it's really hard to tell. I think the way that we like to to go to market is um, do a pilot project, get a first customer out there, learn more about the market uh, as we do it, and then and then grow from there. Is what we've done in the UAE. Um, but yeah, in in, in terms of you know, economic clout, political will, incentives through the Inflation Reduction Act, I think it's a really interesting market, but just not not one honestly that we've fully explored yet. Right. And I suppose you you might not have seen this yet, but overnight there's been some news that the U.S. Treasury Department is now considering regulations that might favor production of hydrogen that is more on the, quote, clean energy side. In other words, that it's a way demonstrably to reduce emissions. Mm. Um, In terms of your process, where would you fall on that? I mean, would you be considered the H2 that's produced? Would that be considered clean or tell us a little bit about that? Because it seems like there's about to be a decision that's going to really affect definitions yeah. in that space. Yeah. And that conversation is happening all, all over the world, certainly in the UK. So our technology, the carbon footprint of the hydrogen depends where you get the gas from and where you get the electricity from. So if we take waste gas as an input, so for example, our project with a water company in the UK um, and you apply uh, clean and electricity to that we are a carbon sink so the carbon footprint is negative we, we have a better than net zero solution and therefore if you look at green hydrogen we beat that in terms of carbon footprint however if you get the gas from a, um, a gas grid um, and if you don't power the electricity with um, uh, with renewable sources then the carbon footprint is a little bit higher i mean it's still uh, way lower than blue hydrogen, which uses pyrolysis processes. It's still um, clearly way, uh, way lower than uh, grey hydrogen production. Uh, but we're more in line uh, with the kind of green hydrogen numbers at that point. So if a standard comes in that specifies 
here is the amount of CO2 equivalent per kilo of hydrogen you, you make. That's going to help us out. And um, what we want to avoid is an arbitrary, you know, you can't make hydrogen from gas for it to be clean because that doesn't mm-hmm. consider the fact that that gas can come from a waste source. So if you see that's the risk to us, if you see that kind of broad brushstroke of policy applied, I think we want a bit more nuance in, in the carbon footprint number. Right. Well, it does, it does sound like it's more going to be on the, the power generation side and where the sources are from as much as anything else in terms of the regs. But I will leave you in, as the expert to study that when it becomes more clear. Yeah. Um, and actually, you asked these, I wasn't going to go there, but you mentioned it. So I'm going to ask you, what color is the hydrogen you produce? Good question. Uh, everyone we talked to has a different answer. I think uh, National Grid uh, in the UK said, oh, it's kind of a cyan turquoise color. Uh, so we we, uh, we we don't fit fit neatly on the on the color spectrum. Um, I think the colors have been useful to help people understand the different sources of production. Um, I think we're starting to move away from that kind of simplicity, and I think we need a bit more nuance in putting a a number, not a color, on it. Is my is my personal view? But yes, yeah, some kind of cyan uh, turquoise okay. color. If I had to, if I had to pick one. Very good. Um, okay, so I guess last couple of questions. Because thank you again for taking the time. Um, first of all, just how has how's the experience been? Is this your first COP? It is my first COP. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I've heard everything. Well, I've heard lots of different reactions from people. You've, I think, had more time on on site than many who've just kind of flown in. Um, been like they've just kind of flown into a rock concert and then got back back on a plane. So yep. have you had a chance to acclimatize a little bit? And it, are you, you kind of like great. taking things in? Yeah, thank yeah. We we've had the team out here for for over a week now. Um, I've been on the ground since the weekend, so I'll be here for another few days. We really wanted to immerse ourselves in it. I think partly because if there's if you work in climate tech, this is the best place to be, and it really is a great confluence of people trying to make change happen. So. I think if you're looking for, for customers, looking for investors, that uh, that's great. But also, if you want to learn, like you meet so many fascinating people here who are doing really, really interesting things. So it is, it is hugely energizing, honestly. And I think almost, I, I'm optimistic about what the COP can achieve in terms of announcements and in terms of commitments. But even without that, as a kind of hyper network opportunity. It's been um, it's been really positive. So yes, I've, I've I've enjoyed it, and I would say to anyone who's working in the climate tech space, um, I think this COP particularly got some bad PR up front about being hosted by an oil and gas major country, for example. I, I would say you know, uh, don't let that put you off coming. It's a really good opportunity to honestly affect change and meet people you can work with to to scale up. So I've uh, I've really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, look, I, I can't, uh, I can't have a conversation like this without asking you to respond to people who would say that, you know, and this is a dilemma for a lot of the spectrum of companies and, and founders who work in climate tech, is that there is this old saying that if you dance with the devil, he calls the tune. And working with the energy industry, the old energy industry, in any fashion, to some people is simply something they won't ponder or feel like compromises them. How do you answer people who would suggest that you're gotten, you've gotten way too close and have helped to provide cover for, for national oil companies and indeed for this COP? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, the reality is the old oil and gas, the old energy industry is also the current energy industry. So our economy, our system is currently working with uh, fossil fuels. 
I don't think personally you can stand back from that and throw rocks at it and ignore it because then you ignore really what is is driving our, our economy and a lot of prosperity globally. I think we need to work with that system to decarbonize it. Uh, and I think we will phase those hydrocarbons out over time. And I think technology like ours can help that short-term decarbonization and scale down and then kind of phasing out as as we go. So I'm 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 very comfortable that you can have a really strong desire to get to net zero and push really hard and work with um, the companies who are currently causing part of the problem. I mean, I think it's um, it, it's not a contradiction for me. It's absolutely kind of how you how you affect practical change. And do you think that the some of the other the aware seem to be at a couple of crossroad points of making major decisions, like, for example, here in the UK, the National Infrastructure Commission recommending to think about how we end the domestic gas network and that, you know, these type of decisions are have huge implications for billions of dollars of assets. It does feel like Lividian's in a position where you kind of win either way. Uh, at your stage of development, because you can kind of jump to either the waste side or to different parts of the value stream. Um, but as you're you're formally in that world or closer in that world, any any views on on that controversy that's playing out here in the UK on whether or not the domestic gas grid and which, whether we should get rid of it at some point? Yeah, I I think there's still work to be done on what does that gas grid move around. So. I know National Grid or National Gas, as they're now called, have got a kind of a hydrogen grid test site. You know, can we put hydrogen into the grid and kind of centrally generate it and then move it around to the point that it's needed? I mean, I think that's one thing that's not been been fully explored. Um, and also, if we do get rid of it, how do you produce low carbon intensity hydrogen at the point that it's needed without a grid that moves it around? You, you don't want to be trucking it around because you've gotten rid of the gas grid. So... I, I personally feel like that kind of question is it's too soon to answer it because we, we are not clear about what the alternative looks like. And um, from our perspective, as you say, if we don't have a gas, gas, a gas grid, then, hey, we can help customers at the point that they need um, their hydrogen on their site. That's how our modular system works. And if we do have a gas grid, which we can take gas from and clean it, or we can re-inject hydrogen into, then we can cope with that as well. So I almost think that it's not time to make an arbitrary yes or no call on that. There's more mm-hmm. technical clarity on the alternative that's um, that's needed. Well, as I say, it's nice to be in a position where you can, you know, basically maneuver the company to win either way, which is great. Yeah, so, yeah. but uh, I'm sure I'm sure your investors are not unhappy with that either. Um, so, last question then before I let you go, uh, John, we ask everyone who comes on the show for recommendations for listeners. Um, again, I think Lavinian is one of the most admired companies. In the space, I think your track record of, of being able to build it up from, was it called before Camp Cambridge Nanomaterials, was it? Um, That's right. To, yeah. its, to its current form, um, you know, has been an inspiration to a lot of people to get into the space. So are there things that you've read or listened to or watched that have changed kind of your perceptions about climate or climate tech uh, that you'd recommend for listeners to, to kind of check out? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I've been interested in climate change right from school. So I studied climate change and environmental economics uh, back in uh, in my university days. And I think there's there's three things in, in that academic period and, and through my career that have really kind of helped frame my thinking. 
Um, one was um, a book about dams and the impact that dams have on the environment. I couldn't remember the author's name, but the central part of this book was um, you can do things with positive intent that then have very negative consequences. So you can build a dam to try and make clean power, but you flood wild, wildlife, you displace people, and you cause huge methane issues. And I think that nuance of... Um, uh, understanding kind of unforeseen consequences was was really important so any anything that people look up on dams is a great case study of human action um i think it's really interesting the second thing i'd say to have a look at is the national grid um, app that shows you the uk's uh, electricity makeup and the reason i mention this app is if you want real-time data on the progress we've made in 10 years this is fantastic it will tell you how many coal-free days that we've had it will show you what percentage of our mix is wind and solar and comes from renewable sources and often when you work in this space it can be a bit dispiriting you kind of see hurdles and obstacles but checking back in with this um with this app is is great because it shows you that real progress is um is happening so that's that's the second thing um and the third one is one that I read last week. So I have three kids uh, and the kids get a, a newspaper called The Week uh, and it summarizes for a, a kind of a, a, a younger audience what's happening in the news. And the front page of The Week was uh, global leaders fly to Dubai to solve climate crisis. And the whole thing was about how we fight climate change. And my kids sometimes just ignore this newspaper. It arrives and it sits in the kitchen. And this one they, they really read and were really engaged with. And that was exciting because it showed to me how that generation are super, super engaged with these with these problems. So again, a real source of, um, of optimism. So if you want to cheer yourself up, the National Grid app on electricity generation in the UK uh, and the um, the week as a way of showing how prevalent, how hot a topic climate change is for a younger audience are uh, for me have been really uh, really inspiring. That's 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 fantastic, John. You've been so generous with your time. I know you've got a lot of meetings to go to today. They're in Dubai. Thank you for joining Wicked Problems. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. Thanks for listening to Wicked Problems. And if you like this conversation, please share it and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps people find the show. You can subscribe to our newsletter at news.wickedproblems.uk, where you can also find more episodes with Richard Delvin and Claire Brady and all our show notes. And consider becoming a paid subscriber to help support our work. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. For now, thanks for listening. 